0: Welcome to Fundamentally Drained Podcast with your hosts, Father Everett Lees, Father Tom Dahlman, and Justin Dixon, three Christians exploring Christianity from a perspective other than the fundamental view from which we have become Fundamentally Drained. We'll begin the conversation, and you take it from there. Today, we continue our, I guess, series on what we believe, but also we're continuing on other sacramental rites. Um, last episode, we got our noses turned towards confession or reconciliation of the penitents, and we never left. <laughs> and that's okay. It, uh, it was a fun discussion. So, um, the other sacramental rites are, uh, as we listed off last time, everybody forgot confession, which is what turned us down that road, but uh, confirmation, ordination, holy matrimony, and unction of the sick. So let's talk about confirmation. Um, Confirmation is not something, to my knowledge, that it is uh, out in the evangelical world, um, a lot of times, uh, I, I would say, in, I well, I was baptized uh, not as a uh, infant, but as a child of of you know the ripe old <laughs> wise age of six. <laughs> but uh, anyway, confirmation isn't something that's in the evangelical world, and it was something new to me. And um, so, is there anything in the evangelical world like confirmation? Is there any kind of bar mitzvah of any kind. Does anyone know?
1: Yeah, becoming a Christian.
0: That's it? Just yeah. becoming a Christian is the confirmation? Yeah. So,
2: so, uh, so like, even in your, I mean, I don't know, maybe six would be a little early, but yeah. you know, there's, there oftentimes are, are, are people who, you know, they, they're not baptized until later, until they can name Claim the faith themselves, and in a sense, that's what confirm. There, there's a part of confirmation which is somebody claiming this faith that they were once baptized into. Hmm. Um, at least in its modern and in, in its modern era, um, that's
0: that's what it is. That's what confirmation is, right? Tom, do you have something to add?
1: Yeah, I mean. You know, in the denomination or fellowship I came out of, uh, you couldn't be baptized. They believed in baptismal regeneration, you know, and you couldn't be baptized unless you understood. And Mm. so, which I've talked about in other episodes, I feel like makes you think salvation is dependent on your understanding. Yeah, and knowledge, right. And knowledge, which leads to all kinds of problems. But um it it is good in the sense that you had to go through mm-hmm. ideally ideally. I mean you could just go forward with 100 a hundred kids at camp. But uh, ideally you uh, you studied with your youth minister or, or an elder, or somebody at the church, and you, you've you got the basics down before you made that decision.
0: Yeah, I think there's, um, I like the idea of, of some understanding. Um, it's different, you know, it's different when you are, <clears throat> I feel like anyway, um, when the Ultimatum is you know you're going to heaven or hell if you're not, you know if you have not accepted Jesus into your heart kind of thing, and that puts that weight on it all. Um, I guess I'm kind of getting away from confirmation. I apologize, um, but there's something to. Um, I always have appreciated how, um, from at least the Episcopal Church side, it's like the church moves slowly because it it can and it can be something that isn't reactionary or kind of things like that um, in in that mindset. I hope that makes sense. But um, it allows for time for people to understand and learn before making a faith commitment. Does that kind of uh, hopefully that yeah. makes sense? Um, and the truth
1: is we actually have that in the Episcopal Church. Um, when I was at St. Patrick's, Justin's Church as the curate, the bishop came for a visit, and we had an adult who had never been baptized. And so she, she went through the class. She went went through the journey in faith class that that church offers. And um, and then the bishop baptized her. And then he told her, he said, now that counts as confirmation and baptism all in one. Hmm. I thought that was interesting.
0: That is interesting. Yes, he can her. do that. Um, So why, why the bishop? Why does the bishop, um, I'll say have to, and then you can correct me there, but why does the bishop have to be the one who confirms someone?
2: Well, the the bishop is the sign and symbol of the apostles, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so confirmation is in in some ways a um it, it, it's an apostolic um act um the the other the other part of it was so in, in the orthodox church you are baptized and confirmed on the same day um at your baptism a bishop does not confirm so no. they they hold to um probably what is a little bit more of a, uh, an older tradition which is is that confirmation is connected to the receiving of the Holy Spirit. You are confirming the gifts of the Holy Spirit onto a person. Mm-hmm. Um, in in the Western tradition, baptism and confirmation be, became separated, and so it became an act that the bishop did, um, and it became an act of um, sort of you you've come to an age to claim this this faith to to yourself. But the, but the whole point is is that the bishop is the sign and the witness of the apostolic uh, faith and that what, in confirmation you are confirming the faith that has been handed down from the
1: generations.
0: Good. Good explanation.
1: It's also practical. How can you be a bishop if you don't know who's the event? I mean, hmm. at <laughs> least it means the bishop got to see... Hmm. These people. You know? Yeah. Spend some time with them, lay your hands on them. Hmm.
0: Good point. What age What's the earliest age? This is getting this is a personal question. <laughs> what age would you like to see people uh what's the minimum age you would like to see someone confirm, Tom? Uh twenty one. Really? Okay. Ever? I mean I
1: the older the better.
0: Yeah, Everett.
1: Um, middle school.
0: Really, really. Hmm. Okay. That's that's a that's a discussion that's ongoing in our world, <laughs> in the youth world. For me, so I thought I'd take this opportunity. Okay. Anything else on? I think comfort- there are
1: some teenagers who are ready for it and are yeah. taking it seriously, but the the danger is that they're just doing it to make their parents happy. yeah um, yeah. Well, the danger is,
2: is that you have now, uh, if if confirmation is an act um, of the, the Church Catholic and the movement of the Holy Spirit, whether they are ready or not. I mean, are any of us ever ready? Yeah. I agree. I agree. And and so there, there's a part of me that really agrees with what you're saying, but. Um, I've also come to the place that, you know, sometimes the time, the time that they are most willing to look at Faith are those times when their parents are like, hey, you've got to do it. There's this great episode um, of The Sopranos, and, and for some reason I feel like I've already shared the story, but um, anyways, AJ, Tony Soprano's son, it's time for him to be confirmed, and, and, and it's clear that he's basically doing it to make his mother and his grandmother happy. Um, and, and it causes this, um, crisis of faith and where, um, he's been, you know, reading, you know, people who are, uh, you know, believe in like, um, nihilism where there really isn't anything, uh, bigger. It's just, you know, for the moment. And, and the whole episode is this debate about, well, why are we here? What's life all about? And. Even if for just a little bit you get an opportunity to have that conversation, I think it's worthwhile.
1: Everett's right. I take it back. (laughs) Because there's adults who get confirmed just to keep their spouse happy. I mean, Hmm. it works when you're an adult, too. So my liturgy teacher at seminary said baptism is the full initiation into the church. And confirmation is the bishop's affirmation of that. Hmm. So, uh, and I, you see that in scripture, like in Acts. Um, uh, you know, in the Philip, sorry, gosh, my brain's not working. Samaritans are baptized.
2: And they hear about these people who um, have been baptized, but they haven't received the Holy Spirit. Right,
1: All right. Right. All right. And so the apostles come. And then same with uh, the Gentiles, Cornelius's family. There's always confirmation that happens by the leadership of the church. Even in my tradition, where I where I grew up, if I had, you know, I got baptized by Steve in the lake, hypothetically, then I go tell the elders about it at the church, <laughs> you know, and they recognize it. Mm. So it happens everywhere.
0: Yeah. Interesting. All right. Um, By the way you
1: said that, I didn't think you thought it was very interesting, Justin.
0: I apologize. <laughs> I was thinking about the next question. Sorry, Tom.
1: <laughs> ordination. Nobody you wants to hear me. about
0: that. You caught me. Um. So, yeah. What What what'd you say?
1: Nobody wants to hear about ordination.
0: Okay. Skipping ordination. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um. Why is it a sacrament?
1: Because <clears throat> sacrament means, um, you know, the definition, an outward invisible sign of an inward and spiritual grace and, mm-hmm. and ordination happens with the laying on of the bishop's hands. And we believe that something happens. You know, I don't know what, but a commissioning, it's also in Scripture when people were sent on a mission. The apostles laid hands on them, mm, yeah, and, and said, "Receive the Holy Spirit." Now they already had the Holy Spirit, so why were they laying hands on them and, on them again? I don't know, but uh, because something's—I ha- mean, something's happening. There's an old joke that um, in seminary they talked about. There's an ontological change,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but uh, our bishop, former bishop Eds. Hands are so big and strong that it's really an osteological change because okay. he squeezes your head so tight. You know, your brain—you're not the same person when you're done. <laughs> yeah, that was a that was a highbrow joke. As <laughs> I was, go,
0: as I Google uh, ontological sure. and, <laughs> and osteological. <laughs> sure.
2: There used to be a tradition um, where you got slapped.
0: Oh nice.
2: Confirmation and it was a
1: way of <laughs> need to bring that back.
2: <laughs> like sort of like, <laughs> of, like <laughs> the devil was was it was like confirmation was in, was a turning from from evil. It was it was in some in many ways like a renewal of your baptism. Um but you would be slapped at confirmation by the bishop.
0: Um That's awesome. That's kinda like the Benny well, Howe yeah, or right, Benny whatever his name's method. A,
2: One thing I want to say about um, ordination is that the question, you know, there's a lot of question of, of, of who changes, what changes. And Tom just talked about, is there an ontological change, which means does the person who is being ordained, does, do, do they change? There's also an argument that what changes, what, 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 what is ordained is the whole church. And I lean more to the latter. Um, which is, is that what happens is, is that the church is ordered or ordained so that this person can function as a priest or a deacon Hmm. uh, or as a bishop. It's, it's, it's less about somehow. I mean, I, I mean, I think, I I mean, I think the person takes on vows that they take, you know, that, that, sets them apart but i think the 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 bigger changes to the church catholic um i don't know tom what do you where
0: where do you lie on that
1: about getting slapped in the face
0: (laughs) he's not paying attention he's eating (laughs) no i'm not
1: eating
2: about what the the what what is what is ordered is the church catholic and it's less about an ontological change that's my
1: Position and I'm just curious. What yeah, about that. I mean, that. I think that I think that there's a commissioning that happens, but I think the the big point is that this is an affirmation by the church, as Everett said, Catholic or universal. I agree with Everett that this is forms a connection to the church down to the time of the apostles.
0: There is um. There is, uh, I, you know, I'm just going to throw the Yankees out there because I cannot remember who it is. But, um, you know, there is something in the uh, Yankee what George organ- Steinbrenner. What?
2: George Steinbrenner.
0: I, uh, I don't know. It has to do with him. But anyway, it has to do with the Yankees. And when you put the pinstripes on, this is how you're going to act. Um, like, for example, I don't remember, I don't recall the Yankees allowing long hair. Um, because I'm pretty sure when Johnny Damon went there from the Red Sox, they made him cut his hair, (laughs) which the Red Sox are just like the bruisers and don't care about stuff like that. But there is something to putting on the uniform that identifies you as this person. You're going to act this way. Probably, you know, a police officer would have been a better example, but that's what just came to mind. And there's something to knowing that when a person is in this place, this position, this role that it brings with it a sort of, and I don't like the word power, but someone fill that word in for me, whatever it is. But that's kind of where I think about this. It is a changing of a recognized what? Um, Ah, see, now I'm just going to go nowhere. Hopefully everyone's going, I know what you mean, but, you know, yeah, you can't say it. (laughs) Um, So just kind of like you said, it is the parish or the church Recognizing and they're changing how they recognize this person, and now they are an agent of God and will be recognized through that. And we ordain that person because we, the church and God, ordained them, and so now when they speak, they're speaking on behalf of God or when they, this is done, there's a blessing, whatever is done in that. And so I kind of feel like that's the same kind of way, but I think about it like that, you know, putting on the pinstripes or whatever it may be putting on a uniform, whatever. So hopefully that made sense. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anything else on ordination? No,
1: sir.
0: Moving through, uh, Unction of the sick. Unction. What's unction mean? Anyone? Anointing with oil. Anointing with oil?
1: Yeah.
0: I'm literally Googling it.
1: It says in James, if anyone is sick, let them call the elders of the church and they'll lay hands on them, anointing them with oil. The prayer of faith will make the sick person well. Hmm.
2: This is what, and, and and the 79 prayer books um, service for unction marks a little bit of a, a shift that reflects scientific changes. Prior to that, you really had what was commonly known as like extreme unction, which was, mm-hmm. you know, end of life stuff. And it wasn't that you didn't pray until end of life, but that that, you know, a person who got, let's say, pneumonia, their death rate was so high, right? Where we're now people can be pretty sick, but with modern medicines, uh, surgery, um, you know, people can recover. And so it's changed a little bit. The prayer services from, you know, please intervene in this, in this, in this, this instant and, and, and heal this person, which we still do. Um, But oftentimes that, you know, everything was sort of life and death when somebody got gravely ill. Does that make sense?
0: Hmm. Yeah, good point.
2: So science has sort of changed some of that, you know, how we view it.
1: Hmm. Everett, can I ask you a question? Have you ever gone in and laid hands on someone, anointed them with oil and seen kind of a surprising recovery?
2: I have seen folks who have made a recovery and there is not a medical explanation as to why. Hmm. And I think that's a really long way to say
1: that yes, I do really, believe. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean this always opens the door of well, why did, you know, this person right. recover and not this other person. I didn't intend to get into that although you always think about it. But Oh, absolutely.
0: Had, go ahead. No, I would say absolutely. That's where my head was at. It's like what is this doing? What's really going on? And you alluded to the mystery of um of what's happening within like confirmation, you know, and stuff like that. I think there is mystery in all of this. So, go ahead. What were you going to say, Tom?
1: Oh, uh I've had, I've had a few times. I wouldn't say it was just shocking. It sounds kind of shocking, but um, I've had a few times. Well, one was pretty shocking, I guess. Um, one guy was in the hospital, and I didn't even think it. These things always happen when you're not thinking about it. I feel like when I go in the hospital and I'm just really thinking about it and <laughs> hoping for something... Uh I'm it doesn't go the way I want. When I go in there and unthinkingly and just do what a priest is supposed to do, it's been surprising sometimes. So that's just me personally reflecting I don't, there's no theology in that. But right. I had one guy call me from Saint Patrick's. He was in the hospital at Southcrest and Shelby was gone on sabbatical. So I went up and laid hands on him, anointed him with oil. And the next day he got out of the hospital and he called me. He said, I couldn't breathe when you walked in, but I could breathe when you left. Hmm. And I don't know if that was the Holy Spirit or just relief, Hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. but I've had a few stories like that. I don't think it has anything to do with the person doing it.
0: But there's also, to that, you know, I mean, this goes back to ordination and, you know, the Yankees pinstripes. There is something, too, that on behalf of God, um, that could play a role into it, too. Again, I'm not trying to label it either, um, but there's just, there, there that could be included in the mystery, if you will, um, I guess. I mean, you can relate right. that if you want to, but there's just something to that, and um, I remember um, someone asking me, some time ago, it, it was like, um, you know, what is the collar? Uh, gosh, is this getting off pace? Yeah. Well, I'll say it real quick, but it's like, you know, do you like the collar? Should I, you know? Should we wear? Should I wear a collar? I, I, I'm being kind of ambiguous, but um, because they thought a priest it's like collar, yes, a priest collar, yes, and um, because it was, they thought it may be in our culture in Oklahoma that it's off-putting or something like that and I'm like no <laughs> I think that
1: was me asking you that when I was a new priest It
0: wasn't but okay maybe you did too I'm um, sure I did But but and I was like no you know I mean now understanding um specifically especially in Oklahoma where that comes from because back honestly man if you asked me that in the 80s or 90s I'd be like yeah they're going to think you're catholic <laughs> <laughs> which is fine, uh, but I didn't know that until later. Um, you know, which goes back to our previous episode conversation about: Are you Catholic or are you Christian? You know, those kind of things. And, and um, but there's just something to that, and I and I and I appreciate that. I appreciate that because I know that going through the ordination and being that symbol is not something that a lot of people would just sign up to do for no reason <laughs> just because they want to be popular or something. Um, you know, maybe some do, I don't know, but it's, it's, uh, there is a weight that comes with it. But alongside that comes that, um, God, I don't like, I don't want to use the word power because that's not good. Um, but something to it. I well, just, but
2: you know, I, I remember, so it, in, in the diocese, we do this discernment, um, where you're with a group of people and you're talking about your sense of call and why mm-hmm, mm-hmm. be ordained. And, and I, and I remember a person talking about, they, they wanted the power of the caller when they went and they did their ministry. Mm. And, and, and that person was not, you know, was, was, to, you know, I mean, I mean that not because of that one thing, but I mean, that person was, was not approved for ordination. Mm-hmm. Um, I think part of it was that um, it was more about I want the outward and visible sign of it so that I feel legitimate in my ministry. But I want to go back to unction for just a minute. Mm-hmm. A couple of things that I think is, is, is important is, is um, one is that, that um, there's a prayer in the prayer book for the sanctification of illness. And I think it's an underutilized prayer. There are, you know, you know, somebody who I, I don't know, maybe they have Parkinson's or Alzheimer's or where they're having diminished capacities mm-hmm. and are unlikely to have a miraculous reversal. There is something there about talking about the sanctification. What what can we learn from in this suffering? Um, this is oftentimes something I talk about with people who suffer mental illness, right? They're, they're, mm. it, it is unlikely that there's going to be a day in which that mental illness is just lifted and they no longer are bipolar or, you know, whatever. So, so let's talk about the sanctification. Let's talk about, about illness and suffering as something in the Christian tradition which there is giftedness in. You know, Paul, you know, talks about that, you know, suffering produces endurance and endurance produces hope. And, you know, there's this whole thing, and I think it's in in Romans where he's writing, that I don't think we talk enough about. Um, We deny suffering. Um, um, There is a fantastic, a fantastic thing where Stephen Colbert is, is, Talks about this. I mean, you know, he's a he's a very um, committed um, Roman Catholic, and and Roman Catholics, you know, they they do talk about suffering, um, mm. and and it is just absolutely fantastic, uh, powerful. Not like in a happy clappy way, but just a really powerful way of talking about the power um, of suffering and and what it what what we can learn from it.
0: Yeah, I think we are. Uh, how do I say this? Our culture ignores this to its own demise. We are winners. And if you're not winning and perfect, then you're not a winner. And especially I feel in Christian is, I mean, the, the point of the, well, I don't mean to say the point of beatitudes, but recognizing you need a savior is when you're actually most Christian. <laughs> um you know and you can rephrase that however you want but I think that in failure and suffering we find fail, uh losing, you know, and um and that's a good point. So um sanctification of sickness, is that what you, the prayer was? Is it?
1: Yeah, that's what he said. He, I okay. think I think that um healing always happens it just doesn't always look the way Ooh. we want it to look
0: very good very good um and i think that's 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 it that's oh sorry I hit my mic that is the discipleship opportunity in itself right there where we have failed to teach this even to even my i don't understand it is what i'm saying i'm not saying i get it I'm saying I still can't because I'm still trying to be some kind of perfect person, (laughs) you know, without flaws, because that's what, you know, that's christ like is what my mentality is. And I know it's not, you know, so sorry, Tom didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. No, that's perfect. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. E, anything to add to that? No. Okay. Good, good point, man. Thank you for bringing that up. Um, uh, we're, we're running short on time here, but let's go ahead and finish um, Holy Matrimony here. Um, God, I want to sit and think about that unction of the sickness more than what you said, Everett. I've got to listen back to this episode and think about that more. I want to develop that more. Um, Holy Matrimony. Woo! Go. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> Someone well, give, us the, give us the theological... Yeah. Peace. It
2: is it is a calling in which you people um, commit to um, a lifelong covenant with each other, um, and um, you know we're all sort of very familiar with with marriage, but but the the, the writer of Ephesians in particular talks about marriage. Um, as analogous to what Christ and the Church is like—that that that lifelong, you know, um, covenant between two people. But at its core, that's that that's what it is.
0: Right. To Christ and the Church, that same kind of relationship, correct?
2: Right. And so, the person who is married is an icon of the marriage between Christ and the Church.
0: Tom what can you add
1: marriage is pretty fascinating because it it's truthfully anthropologically it's not Christian Jewish or pagan it predates um, you know in our in in our story it's from the beginning um, so it's not
0: Hmm, you're right
1: and there's nothing in Genesis about a ceremony and there's nothing in I don't we don't see anything in the New Testament about a ceremony It's some people have said it's a it's a sacrament written into creation hmm. um, but I think it's interesting because the church the early church did not practice I mean they didn't perform marriages it was a civil, or civic institution that um, the church would have would bless. Eventually they blessed them. But I just think it's, it's, it's just fascinating how, how much marriage that even the churches that talk about the separation of church and state, when a couple goes to the courthouse and gets married, they don't say. Well, no, you're not married. You know. <laughs> we what? Say that again. Th- well, th- I grew up in a church that always talked about the separation of church and state. You know. Oh,
0: because they went to the courthouse. The church yeah. says they're not married. Okay, I. I
1: <laughs> yeah, no one does that. So. Oh
0: my gosh. It's
2: still but, and, and and people for a lot long com- like a lot of times you know this is where the the root of like a common law marriage came from was, is that people did not have access either to a, you know, a legal person mm-hmm. or, you know, the religious person only came through once a year. Hmm. Uh, and so lots of people were married apart from the civil and the religious, um, but they were, they were married in the eyes of the, the community um, or tribe in which they lived. Um, so the whole the whole notion that church defines marriage, or tr- you know what I mean, it's a little
0: I don't know I don't know what to say. <laughs> Doesn't that suck?
2: <laughs> I felt like I was on the edge of like a really good point, then I lost it.
0: Yeah, I hear you. I'm sorry. Virtual hug, buddy. <laughs> I feel like I do that often. <laughs> Tom, you were on a pretty good roll. Anything else to add there?
1: I can't think of anything.
0: So, um, can we, I, can
2: I say something? Yeah, go. I, you know, that this is, I also think particularly like in places like Oklahoma, um, we do not value the calling of singleness. Um, Paul in fact says, um, whatever state you are, when you become a Christian, stay in that state for your entire life unless you can't control your hormones and then go get married. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, I, I think that we oftentimes um, unintentionally sort of shame um, or diminish singleness as a real thing. Um, you know, we'll sit there and we'll have a service. It's the family service. Um, Ooh. and, and there's a, there are people in our communities that are single, mm-hmm. but we unintentionally say that you either have to be married or a family to really be a part of the church.
0: Yep. That's a great point. Very good point. Um, man, in this culture, um, to uh, the Oklahoma culture about being single and then sex being the sin and all the da-da-da. I mean, man, there's just so many conversations within that. But, yes, very good point, Everett. Um, I mean,
2: how, let me ask you, Justin and Tom, how many people did you know that were married pretty quickly
1: out of high school?
0: Oh, gosh.
1: <laughs> oh, many. Yeah. Yeah. Most are not still married.
0: I was gonna, and that's what I was going to allude to as well. And, um, and that's, you know, that's that ultimatum. That's that, um, you know, you're going to hell if you have sex kind of thing. And that's, that's the, you know, and that's what pushes this down into this, um, uh, you know, Philip Yancey wrote, I don't remember which book, but the teetotaling family. So the families who say no alcohol actually produce statistically the most alcoholics. And there is something to be said. I don't know that it's tracked or not. I'm sure the statistics out there for, you know, um, I started to say intimacy, sex, whatever, um, along the same lines. Um, and so much can come out of that. And um, it's just there's no grace um, within that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, but anyway, I feel like getting down a different road again, <laughs> you know, I, we,
2: I, I really, I, I don't know. Have we ever done a sex?
0: I know. I was just, th- I'm I literally, I'm writing it down. It's like, we got to do a sex episode. Um, okay. Let's, let's, talk we're getting, that, baby. what?
2: You know that, that song? Let's talk about sex. baby.
0: <laughs> Could you please sing that on the intro? Um, Nobody
2: wants me to sing anything.
0: So the Episcopal Church, we uh, marry same sex couples. And uh, <clears throat> excuse me, um, you know, I, I, I in uh, the time that we have to give to this right now, this is an episode we need to have too, um, something to that. Um, and uh, you know, I I I don't know what question to ask in this because you know half of our listeners may have stopped listening just then. <laughs> um that's a joke um what, I it. what tom do you have to share about a same-sex marriage do you have something that you want to share with everyone about that in holy matrimony i'm kind of putting you on the spot um but we kind of talked about this too and thought about it what what do you have to share about that because let me let me throw this out there our Book of Common Prayer says uh, holy matrimony is between a man and a woman, um, a woman and man, in which the woman and the man, blah blah blah. So, um, what 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 do you have to offer to same sex couples about that? To people listening,
1: well, the first I'd say the Book of Common Prayer changes when the general convention uh, when the church comes together and makes changes and they made changes to it and was that 2018 Everett uh yeah 2018 uh,
2: 2018 2015
1: I mean they made change they made uh other changes that allowed same sex marriage to begin before that but Mm -hmm. um and when 1979, when the current prayer book was put out, right, you know that was. I would just say, since as you said, we don't have a lot of time. I would go and read *The Body's Grace* by Rowan Williams. You can print it off if you're, if you want to think through some of the issues related to it. If you're listening to this and that's a new idea for you. I would suggest you print that essay off. It's a pretty, it's pretty dense and long. Give the name one more time, please. The body's grace. Body. The body's grace. It's by Rowan Williams. Okay. And if you want to dig even more, there's another essay called "Toward a Christian Sexual Ethic," that is also worth reading. It's a little harder to find, and it's a little more dense. But I would just say. Um, There are many goods of marriage besides just the procreation of children. Mm. For example, um, self-sacrificial love, uh, companionship. You know, the verse about as iron sharpens iron. Mm -hmm. Um, And you're right. This is a topic bigger than one episode. Yeah, I know.
0: I know. It's right. Uh, and and uh, we will we'll have that episode everett um so
2: you know i i you know all cards on on the table i um i was late comer to supporting same-sex marriage um i um i, I would say probably as as recently as um I don't know, 2010, 2011, you know, was really pretty, um, didn't didn't support it. Um, But, you know, honestly, uh, as I, you know, continued to reflect upon the church's reflections, the things that we were producing um, to explain to the wider Anglican communion, you know, why we've gone the direction that we have, I, my, you know, changed my opinions. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I, I think that, that two men or two women can be, um, can be a marriage. There, there is an issue. I mean, just, just inside baseball stuff that the, the book of common prayer still says one man and one woman. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I, I, that's probably something that needs to get changed, um to just say two people uh, yeah yeah there what's what's interesting and this is to go back to the supreme court decision which legalized same-sex marriage across the country is that really it was a conservative argument the the argument is that that families and and couples are are societal good and Therefore, we should be encouraging the bedrock of, of, of families as as a virtue for society.
1: Hmm.
2: And 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 it's it is sort of interesting because the progressives who were sort of I mean you go and you read um, Anthony Kennedy's um, ma- you know majority opinion. I mean it's it is a very pro-family. Um, you know, pro institution of marriage as a virtue, um, in many ways, which sound would have sounded like a conservative, writing it. Um, right. So.
0: Yeah, I appreciate um, you know your honesty, and, and um, I mean, I I grew up in the Baptist Free Will Baptist tradition, and um, you know, being gay was a sin, and uh, and just through grace. <laughs> and conversations, and so many ways of just deconstructing something that was that uh, was given to me in a very black-and-white manner, um, and through uh, various books, Torn, uh, God and the Gay Christian, so many things. Um, there is just an understanding there, um, and that even sounds cheap saying that, but we can't learn if we hot you know <laughs> i guess i don't know i'm trying to uh, but um and, but- and
2: i think and and i mean this is this is i mean we have to we have to admit that outside of secular society it's still a minority position mm. um, and worldwide it's still a minority position right um and and acting like Everyone who disagrees or hasn't come to the same place is, you know, a hate monger and a mm-hmm. and a mm-hmm. and a, a jerk. Is it, it is is probably not helpful. Um, and you know, we just have to to you know understand that it that it changed really quick, and you know, part of part of my own switching was. You know, I I decided to err on the side of praise. I mean, I, uh. I really reflected back to mm. you know, the nineteen, you know, fifties and sixties and, and just, you know there there were a lot of people who were on the wrong side. And and looking back on it, they probably sit there and go, Gosh, I can't believe mm. what time. And I said, you know, if 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 you know I'm not, I, I don't want to be on the wrong side of history, so I'm just going to err on the side of grace. And I have seen it bear fruit in, in, in people's lives.
0: Yes, I can, I'm picturing <laughs> some couples, and, and um, it gives me great joy to know that they are together and that they will be teaching myself, my children, and others about what love and grace and relationship look like. And that's awesome. Uh, Tom, anything else? No, sir. All right. Thank you all for hanging with us. I know we went uh, well over this time, but um, uh, for good reason, I hope. And um, thank you all for listening. I hope that each of you are doing well in our global pandemic. Um, Grace and peace and love to you all. Uh, May the peace of the Lord always with you. Thanks for joining us today. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at at fun drain We'd love to hear your comments on our episodes and also suggest future episode topics. Also, if you enjoy what we're doing, go on to iTunes and give us a review, please. Thanks a lot.